0: You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey folks, welcome to Sex, Love, and Addiction. Today, um, I always have great guests, I have to say, because because I pick people who I respect, who I admire, who I've worked with, and who I really feel have something to say that is useful for you guys and useful for all of us. And so today, I'm really honored to have a colleague of mine whose name is Ian Friedman. Um, Ian is an attorney, and let me tell you a little bit about Ian. Ian is a partner in Friedman, NEMAC LLC, which is a Cleveland-based criminal defense law firm. His practice is focused, focused on criminal, cyber, and white-collar matters. Ian has represented individuals and entities across the United States and has served as counsel in Europe, Asia, and South America. Ian was the first lawyer to be named Lawyer of the Year by the Ohio Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers in 2010. He's an adjunct professor at the Cleveland Marshall College of Law where he has taught cybercrime. So cool, interesting, wanna hear about that. He has taught about cybercrime since 2006. Ian has served as president of the Cleveland Marshall College of Law Alumni Association from 2012 to 2013. He is fellow of the American Board of Criminal Lawyers and served as their president in 2018. Welcome, my friend Ian. Thanks, Rob. It's good to be here. It's always an honor and uh, thank you. Well, this is a topic I don't think that gets much attention because who wants to talk about this?
1: Yeah. So, this, you know, it's funny. I had a judge a couple of years ago who came up to me and she looked me up and down and she said to me, You know, Ian, I used to have so much respect for you. She said, But I just don't know how you represent those people. I looked at her and I said, Judge, I've handled, I can't even count how many murder cases in your room over the years. Can't really think of anything too redeeming about that. And this is what's causing you to lose respect for me. And unfortunately, that, that exchange has stayed with me all these years because it really does capture how people look at these offenses and those who are just merely charged uh, with these sorts of offenses. It's, uh, it's a very tough landscape for anyone that finds themselves uh, involved in uh, allegations of uh, some sort of sex crime.
0: And Ian, when you were saying to this judge, and this is what you go after me for, not murder, not whatever, but this, working with these people, who are you talking about specifically? What kinds of issues? What kind of people?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. So I would venture to say that the judge, like so many people, kind of just paints with a broad brush. And when they say these people... You know, in their mind, uh, they're just simply saying, you know, sex offenders. And what does that really mean? So to answer your question, what that means to me, it can be, you know, many, many different things. I mean, the spectrum is is long on this. You could be talking about the law charging uh, a young man uh, who may be 19 years old, who is, you know, engaging in uh, continuing to engage in a sexual relationship with, you know, his girlfriend who might be 16, 17. You know, everyone could know about it, but under the law, that's still problematic. That could go all the way to uh, people who are exploiting children and engaging in, you know, uh, non-consensual physical acts with adults or minors. So it really goes uh, kind of across. I do a lot of cyber work, as you said. So a lot of uh, folks that are charged with uh, child pornography and and exploitation of minors online.
0: I got to ask as a a little bit of a like, I want to be kind of a fly on the wall, what do you teach in cybercrime classes? I mean, I know you can't give the whole curriculum here, but I'm just, I would love to sit down on one. It sounds like a CSI episode. You're like, what, you know, what, what do you talk about in there? What do you show people? What do you tell people? Just give us a little clue. That sounds really interesting.
1: Sure. So it, it really is a lot of fun. And it's now been uh, coming up on 15 years teaching it and the class has changed.
0: Have you caught up to the digital age, you think, as an older person? Are you there yet? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's amazing. My
1: students are, are, it's getting harder and harder to teach them every year, as you can imagine. You know, when I started, we were still doing the final exams uh, uh, with pen to paper. And of course, Mm -hmm. that's no longer the case.
0: What is cybercrime?
1: So cybercrime can be a great many things. So From the online exploitation that we just spoke about to what I do uh, often on a daily basis, it could be hacking, uh, what we call third-party intrusions. Uh, It could be crypto uh, currency type offenses. It can be online stalking,
0: any sort of uh, financial crimes. We're talking about crimes, some of which didn't exist maybe 15 years ago. I mean, they existed in the real world in a completely different way. How does this, I know maybe I'm being too, getting too deep into the topic here, but you know, I, I just, I've been in the courtroom with you a little bit. Um, I've served as an expert witness for you. That's how we know each other. And I know that you've got a jury that knows nothing about tech, you know, or barely anything. And you've got a judge who... You know, on one side, you have a, 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 no matter what the issue is, you have a defense attorney saying it was just a little minor thing. It didn't mean anything. And you have a prosecuting attorney who says, this is the person who's going to snatch and grab your children, no matter what the issue is. And somehow a judge who doesn't know anything really about the intimate, the intricacies of human behavior or psychology or where these uh, behaviors might come from or what might best be needed to help this person, they have to decide how to. And I guess that must be where you come in, like helping the judges and the people sort out the realities here. And I tell my students
1: and and my lawyers here, our job really is to educate. And when it comes to technology in the courtroom, it, it really even more so than other types of offenses. Lawyers in general, we educate, right, for whatever our cause may be. But when it comes to technology, you've got to find that that fine line uh, uh, between teaching and still showing respect for the bench. Because even if a judge doesn't really know what you're talking
0: about. You can't tell them that. Excuse me, judge. You're kind of an idiot, but I'm going to fill you in. I guess that wouldn't work real well. Exactly. So, yeah. So, you know, we just um,
1: it's interesting what we teach. We, we talk about everything kind of tech. We talk about where to find evidence. I like to say evidence where there once was none. So when you used to think about traditional crimes, you know, the police officers would show up, they put yellow tape around and you knew that, you know, everything was kind of case was contained in that yellow tape. Maybe you got some witness statements. And today it's very different because you look at a crime scene, you're not looking at anything necessarily. You have to know where evidence is stored, where data is stored. And so it's really fascinating trying to figure all of that out. So we look at where modern day evidence is. We look at how constitutional protections have changed, how they expand, particularly the Fourth Amendment and, you know, where uh, people's expectations of privacy. And it, it, I'm not saying everyone's
0: not familiar with it, but can you remind us of the Fourth Amendment?
1: Sure. So the Fourth Amendment is, is people's uh, rights to uh, be free from unreasonable searches and seizures. You know, when we talk about people's right to privacy, that's what we're talking about is the Fourth Amendment. What does that mean today? It's changed a great deal. And, you know, it used to be when people are executing search warrants or when the police are, you know, if people are contesting that, that's Fourth Amendment grounds. And today it's expanded because when an officer gets a search warrant, does that mean that they can go in, you know, how far can they go into the computer? Can they look at all the files? I mean, there's just a ton of questions. So to get back, Rob, to your question about, or your statement, I should say about, you know, we're dealing with crimes that may not have existed 15 years ago. I would say we're dealing with crimes that we weren't dealing with six months ago and a year ago. And that's why I can't even order a textbook for this class because by the time it comes, it's outdated. So we just simply put together the, the cases uh, of that week and we check the cases that morning to see where it's been overturned. That's why I really like this stuff. It's new.
0: It's so funny, and I have to say, or uh, you know, I want to call you Doctor Freedom, or you're Doctor Doctor Freedom, and I want to call you Mister Freedom Mister Friedman Esquire, but I can't really do that. So, but but that name Doctor Freedom is is absolutely perfect. I'll okay, we'll call you Doctor Freedom then. Although you, I know you don't give freedom those who don't deserve it, but nonetheless, um, who? Let me ask you this: who? Who would call someone like you and say, "I need help"? I mean, would it be the person who's, you know, had ten offenses and they're going to go to prison the rest of their life and they're at their last rope? Or would it be a parent who's like, "My kid just got caught for looking at this, and I'm not sure, you know"? It, would it be, you know, the guy who's been out seeing prostitutes or exhibiting and he gets uh, caught for a misdemeanor offense? Who would come see you and why? And what would they get from it? And, and I'm not asking to sell your business. I want to understand what you do. Oh, of course. So the answer is all of the above.
1: People who are under investigation, who may not have been charged for a crime, uh, will come in, and the hope is that we can prevent them from being charged. There are people who have been charged for anything from misdemeanors.
0: And, and why don't you say what misdemeanors are? Why don't you just go through? So charged for misdemeanors, what's a misdemeanor in, in terms of sex?
1: Right. So a misdemeanor could be anything from uh, soliciting prostitution, and, and all jurisdictions are different, right, how they treat it. But for the most part, the solicitation... Uh, you know, would be a misdemeanor. Uh, A simple exhibitionism could be a misdemeanor. And I do have to use the word could, because again, all jurisdictions are different, but um, those are usually where someone may grab someone's, you know, rear end at a bar, you know, over their clothes, that could be a misdemeanor. You know, what people don't realize is that today, even those misdemeanors carry with them uh, the harsh consequences of, you know, sexual registration, potentially, uh, certainly embarrassment, loss of work, uh, loss of relationships. You know, you can have a misdemeanor, which so you see have misdemeanors and felonies. Misdemeanors usually cannot be uh, sent. You know, a person convicted of a misdemeanor cannot be sent to you know a state penal institution. So they would get like local incarceration, perhaps, or or probation. But they share very severe consequence, just like a felony, or just like a federal offense. And so today, when someone I get calls from people who say, hey, you know, look, I was on the internet, I was looking at porn, I think I hit something I shouldn't have, you know, what do I do? Uh, Or, you know, I get calls from people saying, you know, I was chatting with who I believe to be, you know, just some woman, and then now all of a sudden I'm getting kind of a blackmail uh, sort of email saying, if I don't pay this amount of money monthly, they're going to reach out to my wife and, and, you know, let her know what I was doing. And then I get calls from people that, uh, you know, real serious offenses, you know, charged with, you know, life uh, sort of offenses. So really all the above the, you know, you brought up the parents issue. And I just dealt with two young people this morning uh, who were uh, sexting with uh, high school classmates and they found themselves in juvenile court uh, for it uh, because they got some some images, some pictures and they sent it on to some friends. And, And now all of a sudden they're looking
0: at, you know, child pornography charges. So just to say something about to to everyone, if you've got kids and they're sharing they're sexting, which is basically not that different than playing Frisbee when I was a kid, you know, everybody is sexting. The reality is that the laws are different from state to state. And there are states where they will not see that as a crime for two people under the age of 18 to be sending each other images. But there are other states that might look at it very differently. And then what if someone is just gone over 18 and the other partner isn't, as you talked about? Ian, would you say that the law has not really caught up with ha- these kinds of new crimes and new situations that we're dealing with? And, and non-crimes, like sexting, you know, hey, who cares? I don't care. I, parents care. I get that. But the kids don't care. You know, so it's, uh, it's a little bit like, sexting is a little bit like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, it's like just where the culture has gone and you got to go with it a little bit, you know, within reason and certainly not arrest children. So yeah. What are your
1: thoughts? So I've got a number of thoughts on that. I, I think that our laws are not caught up to the technology. I don't think they ever will be. I've also represented, you know, lots of, uh, you know, hackers and so forth who seem to always be one step ahead. So we're using kind of uh, dated laws to, you know, kind of fit the, these new offenses in. I think that more than that, I think there's a lack of understanding As to these types of offenses, probably uh, some prosecutors and some of the governmental agencies, you know, that's not their priority to understand it. And so to me, it's really not the law so much as the treatment of it, the sentencing in it. You're exactly right. It does absolutely no good to tag an 18 year old young man with a felony sex offense for texting with his 17 year old girlfriend,
0: no matter how
1: upset her dad is. Right, you know, they were fine the day before his birthday. The day he turns eighteen, he's he's now a felon. It doesn't make any sense. So, and and
0: wait, I ask you, do the courts understand that? I mean, they have an eighteen-year-old kid with no record and know hes just been doing this, or do they not? Or is it really situation by situation? Totally,
1: situation by situation. Um, Yeah. Now, I have, in fairness, seen you know the prosecutors' offices uh, look at those cases a little bit differently. But there's nothing, you know. There's no kind of line of demarcation. I mean, it, it's really which prosecutor's looking at it, and and their kind of their own personal
0: opinion as to how it should be handled. So I don't see a lot of consistency. You were police guys, aside. You spent some time with them maybe or women those who have, you know, seem like they don't have insight into what they're doing. They really want to grow. They're really, you know, they're sincerely unhappy. Do you ever talk to them about 12-step programs or places they might get support just for their own lives, regardless of how the case goes? Absolutely. It is so critical. I believe
1: that if a defense lawyer is not Putting them, they're making those suggestions uh, that they are doing them. uh, They're doing the the client a disservice. And you know, I tell the clients when they come through, look, I'm not preaching you about life, but I am preaching to you as to how to get through a case. And we put them through uh, right away. I'll get them into individual and group counseling. We get them into twelve step groups, whether it's SLAA or SA or SAA, you know, some equivalent. And, you know, we have them, uh, having the secretary of the meetings uh, sign uh, their attendance sheets. This is all aimed at setting up the mitigation. Okay. So I'm looking at it from that side of it so that I can say to a judge, look, judge, before you even got involved, before you even ordered it, we started uh, taking all these steps and, and our client on his own did all these things and look at how well he's done. Now, as a result Nine times out of 10, probably even more than that, the clients come to me and they say, man, I'm really glad I went. They said, this is the best thing. And interestingly, oftentimes the clients will say to me, look, I kind of wish it didn't take this case to get me where I'm at, but this was actually probably one of the best things that ever happened to me.
0: Depending on the. The situation
1: depending on the situation that's right not that I'm not speaking of the violent offenders or the habitual offenders I'm talking about the everyday client and most of them are first-time offenders that never expected to be in this situation before and you know when when we again that's the problem with kind of painting with the broad brush so many people look at a sex offender as just plain old sex offender they're all the
0: same mm-hmm. and and they're not it's clearly hey there i sure hope you're enjoying this sex love and addiction podcast before we continue i'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction porn addiction or co-occurring drug problems seeking integrity can help for more information please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com that's seekingintegrity.com or call us at 747-234-4325. I, 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 I'm sort of curious. I can't help but be curious, but sort of in a, in a cautious way to ask you if there's any really interesting cases that you've worked on that you could tell us about just the nature of the case or what made it interesting for you in the arena of sexual issues Um, I'm guessing you're not the guy, and and this is useful to point out, you're not taking divorce cases. You're not dealing with some wife who's angry at what her husband did sexually. You're dealing with people who've engaged in illegality. So um, I'm just curious, are there any cases that you just were struck or have been struck that they were either meaningful in terms of you're seeing the law change or you're seeing people wake up or you're just struck by the absurdity of it? Or, you know, I'd love to hear that if you have anything real quick to, to bring up to us.
1: Yeah, sure. But I actually respectfully just want to kind of, well, maybe correct a little thing that you just said. And, and that's this, Rob, that you said, no, you're absolutely right. We don't do divorce. However, um, because you said you're dealing with people you know, who, who may have committed an illegality. And I have to tell you that in these types of offenses, those who are accused of sex offenses, in my experience, has the highest uh, rate of false allegations. And you actually hit on, ex- on one of the reasons why. Oftentimes, I see that there is, uh, there's a domestic component to our criminal cases, allegations that are being made uh, with ulterior motives. So maybe it's a child custody case. Maybe someone trying to get more money. Maybe someone's mad because someone had an affair. So we always have to look at the motivations behind uh, the allegations because I'll tell you, one of you know if you ask any criminal defense lawyer what the most commonly asked question uh, of them is at a cocktail party every single one of them without exception will tell you uh, that it is people saying uh, or asking how can you represent people who you know are guilty
0: mm, yeah I want to talk to you about that.
1: yeah and the answer to that is i always tell them and this kind of catches them a little bit by surprise i say well it's actually a lot easier to represent them than you know uh, than people who you know are innocent when someone's guilty you are making sure the system works. You're making sure that all of those protections are still adhered to, they're still in place, so that someone who, down the road who may be wrongfully accused still has all of those protections in place. Because if you allow the law to be degraded merely because of the heinous nature of the offense, you know, we work on precedent. So those protections will not be in play down the road uh, when someone really needs them.
0: I think what you're saying, I think I can clarify, is that you're saying that you're not necessarily fighting for that particular client, although you are. Um, You're fighting for every client who's going to come after him or her who may have similar issues and needs to have the same protections. That's right. That's right. It's absolutely both. So Ian, I've heard a little bit about these folks and worked extensively with these folks who they are found to have inappropriate images on their computer, whatever that means. They have the FBI show up at their house. The FBI says, nice to meet you, Mr. And Mrs. So-and-so. We're going to take your computers and all your phones and all your devices. And we'll let you know what we find and you know what we're looking for. And we'll be back in a month and we'll let you know what we think. And during that time seems to be when people will run to an attorney, run to a treatment center, all useful things to do. And by the way, I do want to say for the folks who say, oh, well, people just go to treatment or your lawyer just sends someone to treatment in that situation to make it easier on their court case. You bet we do. But in addition to that, what is wrong with sending someone who is troubled and struggling into intensive, confrontive, challenging treatment? It's always a good thing. They're always going to come out clearer with a better understanding of themselves and what they've done, even if they're not ready to heal. So, or even if what they've done is not so great. So Ian, what I've seen during that one month period sometimes where the feds are looking through, that's when I see people kill themselves you know they just they know what people what's going to be found they know they're going to be in trouble they know the imagine the worst how do you what do you say to someone who walks in your office and says oh my god my wife doesn't even know uh i was looking at this stuff and the fbi came or the the local police came which you know i guess make it more of a local offense and i'm in real trouble and you know it's not really my thing i don't really look at this but i happen to be what do i do what do you say to that person
1: so there's a number of things. But I think the first thing that we have to do, you know, you can imagine they're not only terrified of what's to come from the police, but they're also mortified that they're sitting across the table from someone they met moments ago, this lawyer, a complete stranger, having to tell them things, you know, about their life that, you know, they had perfectly well planned to take to the grave. And and they were never gonna talk about that. So here we are talking and I let them know right off the the start. I say, look, there's absolutely nothing uh, that you did, nothing you can do or nothing that you could even think of that I haven't represented times ten. And automatically say, "Okay." and we're not here to pass judgment on you. We're just simply here to figure out how to get you out of this. And you know, once we start to kind of go over the sorts of things that we do, uh, it puts them at ease. But I think that it is important because you bring up a great point, Rob. I've been to more funerals for clients than just about any lawyer I know. And because the fear of, you know, going to prison, being
0: a sex offender,
1: yeah, for being a sex offender, they're terrified. They only know what they see on television, right? So it is absolutely terrifying. So what we began to do in response to that years ago in in this office was we actually set up a network of uh, former clients former family members uh, that allow me to give out their phone numbers so that they're going to now be support to this new client coming through, just like I provided to them whenever they came through at their time. And so I have found that it has been a great tool for us, a great tool for our client, because they can call and say, oh my God, I'm terrified, I'm this, I'm that. And who better to say it's going to be okay than the people who have already gone through it? So if they do that and then they make it into the 12-step rooms and they make it to treatment center therapy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and now all of a sudden they're surrounded by other people who have been through it. That helps. And they really cling to it and they really benefit. And you're exactly right when you said, yes, do we send them here to get, you know, to help them with their case? Of course we do. But I also know that in doing so, it's going to help them
0: tremendously as a person as well or you're gonna get back information about this client to tell you that you have a lot more limitations because sometimes, I know I've worked with people who are in trouble, and sometimes I can see why they're in trouble and I can see they're going to get in trouble again. And sometimes what I have to tell lawyers is not so happy for you guys. Because I have to tell you, I, I don't think this guy's fixable or this woman's fixable. I think that they're going to do it again. I don't think they have any insight into it. And sometimes treatment is not, just to say for everybody, a, it, it's often not a check the box and everything's fine experience. You know, we tell it like it is. And so I know, Ian, sometimes I have to refer someone back to you and say, hey, this one's FUBAR. Yeah,
1: but but that's why you are who you are and that's why you're kind of, I mean, I don't mean to patronize you, but you're kind of the gold standard for this because there are so many mental health providers out there that really, first off, don't have great understanding of these particular types of offenses and offenders. You know, but secondly, they'll just kind of give you a report that's real generic without that understanding. And it doesn't really help because, you know, what happens if you go to someone that doesn't have your uh, type of expertise, we learn of the shortcomings with this person, the obstacles, you know, just before we go to the court for sentencing because the probation department uncovered it. And so I'd much rather know at the start what I'm dealing with so that we could address it, you know, early on.
0: And I have to say to you guys, um, being an expert witness for Ian is really a, you know, it's like one of those TV things. I hate to say it and, I, you know, don't tell anybody who might hire me in the future that that's how I feel about it. But, you know, there is this, you know, us therapists, uh, you know, us docs, we don't walk into the courtroom that often. In fact, most of us try to avoid it in life. And so, you know, you see those swinging doors, you walk through those doors, everybody, it's its quite, it is really a, in our culture today. It is still a very formal, meaningful, profound experience, not unlike going to church, where you know where you are. It's a completely different environment than anything else you've ever been in. The rules are very clear, and there's a world going on there when you go in the courthouses that most people don't think about or see every day, even those of us who watch the court on TV. That's right. It's a very, very different place, that's for sure. Ian, uh, since you brought up the idea of a network of people who are supporting each other, Do you have any, if people were to call you and say, oh, I I want to plug into that network of people who are working on, you know, who've been arrested or got in trouble or, and they're doing better, um, is that something you would help people find or would you just kind of refer them to a 12-step meeting? So it
1: could be both, one or, or one or both. It really depends. So, you know, I'd have to sit and really talk with them, you know, because I, I try and match them up with people of similar age, similar background. I mean, really people that can understand them from, on many different fronts.
0: So you and I both know that in any given city in America, if someone has an addictive or compulsive or an offending sexual problem, and they want to talk to a professional, that you know, if you take a city full of therapists, that maybe 5%, probably more like 3%, will really know how to manage that case. And that's no insult to therapists. Most of us know that we're not deeply trained in human sexuality or addiction, and that you need specialists for special kinds of cases. That's a given. And so if I were looking for a therapist, and I had a sexual problem, I would look for someone who was a specialist and hopefully you'd find a good one. But when I live in, you know, XYZ city in America and something happens, you know, let's say I'm arrested in a police sting for prostitution. How do I know which attorney to go to? How would I possibly know who could best represent me? Who will best support me? Is it just the guy who has the biggest ad on Google? Or like, how will I know, you know, you and I have talked about putting a network together of defense attorneys around the country who really understand how to help and represent these cases. But since we haven't gotten to that yet, how does someone know they're talking to the right person when they're in their office trying to get help?
1: Yeah, it's extremely difficult. You know, I feel for people uh, who, you know, obviously they're in crisis.
0: Yes. And they just like, I'll give you money. I'll do anything. Just help me. Yeah.
1: And they go online and, you know, just about any lawyer has got the gift of gab. So they say, oh, sure, I can handle this. And it's unfortunate. Oftentimes we're, you know, the second lawyers involved because they ended up calling someone who sounded good, got them in and then really didn't know what to do with it once there. It's tough um, because I will tell you that 10 and 15 years ago, before the online advertising really took off, I might have someone come in and they say, well, Ian, I'm interviewing you and you know two other lawyers. And and I, of course, knew the other lawyers and those kind of the usual suspects. But today, you know, I get these young, young lawyers that get out of law school. They have wonderful uh, online marketing campaigns. They've never been
0: in a courtroom?
1: <laughs> yeah. And when people, you know, come in, they say, oh, I'm also talking to so-and-so. And I'm thinking to myself. I said, you know, I don't even know if this lawyer's ever, you know, I'm just thinking to myself, but I don't think this lawyer's ever even been to trial yet. So it makes it really, really hard uh, for people to know. So here's how I do it. If you have a, a good professional like yourself, you know, the good lawyers, but if someone calls me and they say, Hey, Ian, I've got a case in, you know, Chicago, or I've got a case in California, you know, can you handle it or can you refer me to someone there? So the American Board of Criminal Lawyers is the elite organization for uh, trial attorneys, and it's limited to the 200 top trial lawyers in the United States, Canada, and Europe. And I only will work with, you know, or only refer to lawyers within uh, the American Board. I would trust any of them with my own family members. That to me is... Uh, Uh, where I go. But you really have to be careful to just go online. It's no different
0: than the old days, just going into the phone book. Ian, we have similar challenges in multiple areas. In terms of tech, trying to teach about sex, trying to educate about sex, trying to teach therapists, there's no book that I can use because they're all outdated. I mean, there's nothing that has much about VR sex in it, but there we are, we have VR sex. And so yes, the technology will changes. And the same thing I would say in the therapy field, you know, it's very Everyone says, especially if you look online, everybody does everything. Everyone treats everything. Everyone does all. So who is really doing the good work? And I think, and this is why I wanted you on the show, sir, Is because we are experts, and I have no problem saying that after 25 years in the field and watching you for, what, 20, 25 years, do this work with this population. Experts are important right now because everyone can look out there and see everyone does everything and everyone has the right thing to say. So how do you really know you're getting the care or the representation you need? You really, and and I'm just going to say this from my heart, you need to go to people who've been doing the work for a while because the internet is too confusing. It's too hard to tell who has the experience and doesn't. You need to sit down with them and they need to say, I've been working in this court. I've been working in this kind of treatment for many years. I think that's what's going to keep us both fairly busy.
1: Yeah, no, it's perfectly said. And and uh, yeah, you have to now, particularly in within the realm of sex offenses, sex offenders, it is so critical to have people with expertise because... You could you might be able to get away with it as a lawyer in other areas of the law, you know, where there's not such a stigma attached to it. And you're not going to be met with such resistance from prosecutors and judges and juries and the public. But if you don't fully understand the offenses, how they're received by others, and how to deal with the nuances and anticipate the nuances, you know, everything, dealing with the media on these offenses, because you still got to get out your client's story sometimes. How do you do it with these offenses? If you're not in the hands of someone that lives in this world on a daily basis, then you know, you're, you're at a disadvantage. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: How, how can people get a hold of you? Ian, I know that your office is always willing to offer referrals and information and direction for people all over the country uh, and all over the world, really. How will they reach you or get a hold of you folks?
1: So, you know, it's uh, you can reach my office uh, phone numbers, uh, area code 216-928-7700. Uh, you can uh, reach me by email. So it's uh, I-N as in Nancy, F as in Frank, at F com So I-N-F- at fan
0: it's com And then they can, I guess, go to com and look at the site.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, Friedman and Nemachek is the uh, name of the firm. We have a great group here. You know, this, you've got to be real dedicated to these sorts of offenses because this is by far the hardest area of law. I put it right up there with uh, capital representation, capital being death penalty stuff. I mean, it's, it's really uh, tough. Because,
0: you know, so often we're looking at major penalties. Ian Friedman, uh, thank you so much for joining me. And I know that, you know, I want to talk about uh, the ick factor and the feelings that people, you know, I think we need another show for that. So I hope you're willing to come back and do another one. I
1: would absolutely love to. I love working with you and I'm honored that you'd even have me on. Uh, You've done great work over the years. You're helping a lot of people. So anytime you want me on your show, you let me know and I'll be there. This is
0: important stuff. Well, as your most expert of expert witnesses, I will take that in. And also, um, you know, we have an article coming out. Ian and I have written a couple of legal defense articles just to help the court clarify and legal defense attorneys clarify how to work with these populations. And I don't think we can give them enough knowledge. And I do want to say to everybody, and I really want you to hear this, we are not, neither one of us, saying that we validate support approve of or have any kind words to say about offenders in the terms of their behavior but we also see them as human beings who are very very troubled and very very broken and some of whom need really clear containment and need to be out of the culture but most of whom will do quite well and not reoffend with a whole different set of circumstances around treatment which unfortunately they're not very often or offered these days thank you ian again for your time
1: Well, thank you. All right. Be well. and I'll talk to
0: you soon. Thank you. We will do this again. Bye for now. And thanks for listening, folks. Talk to you soon. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com.